Okay, everybody, you heard us talk about it last time, but it's finally here, the MXU Now web app. We're most excited about what it means for MXU teams because you can provision licenses to an unlimited number of volunteers. You get to assign videos for them to watch as part of their training. You can monitor their progress as they work their way through those videos. So we want to partner with you in the way that you train your team, and MXU Teams is the best way to make that happen. We've got a lot of new features coming soon, like uploading checklists and PDFs of your patch sheets and input lists and a bunch of other things to help your team training be the best that it can be. So go to mxu.rocks and check out MXU Teams today. You are now entering the MXU podcast. No credentials required. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 39 of the MXU podcast. My name is Jeff Sandstrom, and I'm here today with my good buddy, Lee Fields, and our great friend, Adam Taylor from Central Church in Vegas. Adam, Lee, how are you guys doing? Hello. What's up? Adam hey. Taylor. I'm here. You are here. Lee, your beard's getting real long. That means a lot coming from you. I love it. <laughs> I love it. So I'm sure some of you guys have seen Adam on our MXU Now videos. He has been in some of our content lately and will be in some more coming soon. Um, it's always great to hang out with you, Adam, and I'm really glad that you're with us today because our special guest today came to us through you, and we are really grateful because we have a great conversation coming your way with Kyle Hamilton, who has been the front of house engineer for basically every R&B artist I can imagine. So it's a, it's a great combo. Yeah, I'm stoked. Thanks for having me guys. This is going to be a, a great conversation. Uh, I met Kyle two years ago um, and uh, with an artist that he was mixing with, let me come listen to his mix. And um, he is an, an incredible person and very knowledgeable and been in the industry for a long time. So this should be exciting. So Adam, you know, I gotta be honest, you were the first guy I knew that had a trigger. Oh yeah. So you really got me into this and your beard is much longer and this is the longest my beard has been. So I secretly just want to be you. <laughs> no way. No way, man. Here's really though. Like I was talking about this the other day. I got a Traeger kind of on a whim. I'm not even sure where I heard about it. I think maybe at Costco. I was wanted a new grill and I got one years ago. And I'm I feel like I'm single handedly responsible for at least 30 people buying Traegers. Like I'm not exaggerating that number. At least <laughs> yeah, 30. Yeah, I know. Like, so, don't you think I should get some kickback from the company or something? Well, absolutely. Sponsorship. What's funny is Jeff's neighbor is kind of in this world a little bit yeah. and he puts company logos on obscure items okay for resale yeah he does he does merchandising for mostly in the beer industry like they do promotions and promotional items yeah, and merchandising yeah. for bars and restaurants that want to sort of put their logo on a koozie and you know sell them at the Braves game or whatever mm, okay but they also do triggers interesting they did a lot of money last year in grill sales. So so I'm in talks with him right now okay. to try to figure out what an MXU branded Traeger would look like. Okay. I'm interested. That would be sick. I need a new one anyways. <laughs> mine's a little, I got the old, like I don't have the fancy Wi-Fi and all that stuff. Yeah. Mine's, mine's old school. Turn the dial and turn it on. But she still works. And I kind of double dip a little bit because I'm, I'm doing the big green egg thing a bit. Yeah. Well, I om I almost got a big green egg, but we re we redid our backyard and 
I wanted something that the wife could use and not deal with the charcoal. So yeah, it's a nightmare to start. It's it's yeah. a lot of work. I got a fancy gas grill with a griddle. You know what's funny? I have not grilled anything on my grill. Like I have an incinerator, like a restaurant grade incinerator burner on yeah. one side that I just put a skillet on to sear what comes off the Traeger. Right. And then the griddle <laughs> I use for everything else. That's all I was doing too. I had a gas grill and I would literally use it to heat up a cast iron. So right after I could pull something off the Traeger, I could sear it quickly. Yeah. That yeah, warm up funny. time is, uh, is uh, no fun waiting for. So how's Vegas right now? Other than it being 155 degrees. Vegas is good. Um, yeah, it's very hot, but it's it's a dry heat, you know, as they say. <laughs> so it's <laughs> so is an oven. <laughs> it's not not as bad as uh, other places, but um, yeah, it's good. The uh, the you know the world's a little bit weird right now. I have a lot of friends here in town um, that are like touring guys and show guys that are doing nothing right now, and uh, especially like all the Cirque shows have closed. Like tons of major tours have canceled coming through. Tons of conventions all the union stuff, like all the, yeah. you know, everything is down. Um, and so those guys have all been taking different jobs and I've seen some people start to do some live stream setups and there's little gigs here and there, but for the most part, um, I've had a lot of, a lot of my buddies here in town that just say, Hey, can I come over to the church and help you guys? Like I'll just roll some cables or tape, really? some, tape something down. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm bored out of my mind. Um, wow. and so that's been cool. I've had some guys over, even some guys that I've wanted to have here for a while, but just haven't had the opportunity because either they're on the road or right. we missed each other. Um, they've come by and gotten to check a few things out and even helped me in some areas of like, you know, all the changes that we've gone through in the past four months. Um, it's, it's been nice to have extra hands to help out. Did I notice on maybe your Instagram or somebody's, you guys just did a new set. We did. Yeah. A new set probably probably about a month ago, honestly. And it looked like there's like sidewalls on it now. Yeah. Just little, it's, we actually, you know, it's our typical sets are really big. Like we're talking six to eight foot stage decks because we yeah. have a 25 foot lighting trim and really big video walls. And we have a big set. Typically the drums are way up in the air. Yeah. Um, but for, for having all of our cameras close right now, our jibs are down front. Um, everything is, you know, very close together. So we did a setup where risers are, you know, six inches off the ground, the band's yeah. super close together. We lowered all the video. Um, you can't really see out of the video shot, but if you were able to see in the room, the lighting trim is like right above the band's heads, like as low as we can get it without yeah. it being in the cameras. So it doesn't really work that well in a live environment. And when we go back to being live, we'll, we'll split the difference on that and find the, find the best option for shooting online. Right, Cause you've got, live. I mean, you're in almost a 5,000 seat room. So like yeah. a six foot riser for some people sounds crazy, but if you're in the back of a 5,000 seat room, it doesn't super come tiny off that way. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. So th that was what I was going to ask was like those sidewalls really help for video. Oh, so that's for sure. something I'm seeing like a lot of churches and us included in some ways, like when you have that shot across the stage and it's just mm -hmm. black and yeah. empty, that's just been disappears. like, that's been the struggle of my, of my six years at central is getting enough crap to fit in the black areas on stage because we have this 60 foot by 30 foot, like main upstage drape. And then yep. we have those weight on the wings as well. And it no, it just seems like no matter how much lighting and video we have of our own inventory, um, there's still just these giant dark spots. And some of that's due to us using cinema style cameras and the sensors they use compared to broadcast cameras and yada, yada, yada. But yeah, yeah that's always been the struggle is how do we prevent cross shots and 
shots from like up close to have texture and depth in the background and just not be this dark black hole of nothing and a curtain and you know you guys have red cameras we do they're not blue or green they're red not blue or green they are (laughs) red so yeah so basically it looks good that's what that means (laughs) yeah they're great they're great cameras um they take a lot of extra work to use them in a live situation why why should or should not someone look at those cameras who um so for a long time uh when I, when I got to central, we were on an SD camera system, a big broadcast camera. So like the big triax cable, it's like this big and it's yeah. got all the, you know, multi-pin stuff and CCU control in the back. And man, we wanted to go HD and the cheapest solution was to get some, uh, Sony FS seven, FS five, something like that, a small body handheld or shoulder mounted camera that yep. had SDI out could run 1080p and wouldn't break the bank. So we used those for a little while and um, it gave us that HD system that we needed. And then I decided to move us to a higher quality camera in the same type of style because we can use those cameras all the time. They're not just sitting in an empty auditorium five days a week. They are out at multiple shoots in multiple locations. Um, They're up here in our video studio upstairs, like they're all over the place. Then on Saturday, they get brought back out. They put in a preset that loads it for the live experience. They get a new battery put on, they get put on the tripod, and we're good to go. Oh, that's cool. So how many cameras do you own at the campus for your film team and the weekend? We have 10. Okay. Um, and so that allows us to have – there's two that are fixed upstairs. That are There's um, eight that are fixed in the room, and then those two uh, in the in the auditorium, and then – all, both of those camera setups get moved around for multiple things. That's great. Yeah. So it worked out really well. Um, there's no no regrets on that decision. It's just a different flavor for everybody, and uh, we, we like the results with it. That's very cool. Well, those cameras actually captured some of our very first MXU Now content. Yeah. And I got to say, I mean, it it was stunning, the image that comes through those camera bodies. It was It was like, okay. I kind of feel like a pro now, like we're making videos that are impressive, just out of the box. So yeah, they look great choice and they've gotten used heavily um, in the past four years and they've held up great. Like we've had minimal issues with a few of them, usually to due to operator air, AKA someone dropping it. But for the most part, uh, (laughs) they've, uh, they've held up really well. They've exceeded my expectations on, on like how long they would hold up just being used so much. That's cool. Well, you know, it's funny. We've said this before, and when we interviewed you uh, for MXU Now about leadership, uh, we talked a lot about some outsider's perspective and perception of Central, <laughs> which leads us perfectly to a couple of um, Central examples of Turn Down for MXU. Yeah, let's go. Because people make assumptions about what you guys do. <laughs> Yeah, You know, I'm sure there are people now who've been listening for the last five minutes going, well, sure, of course, Central has red cameras. I could never even think about that. Well, there's a reason for it, people. So just quit your belly aching and get over yourselves. They threaten people with blowtorches when the offering moment happens. That's (laughs) Flames. Flames and dinosaurs. Yeah. So speaking of flames and dinosaurs, we thought it was going to be only appropriate that we did a turn down for MXU segment that was focused on central because you guys get comments all the time on things that you post. And so we thought we just need to share a few of these examples with our lovely audience today. And now Adam, I hope you know 
that you're the first person to get to do their own turn down for MXU segment. That no hasn't way. Been Jeff yeah. or I or or Andrew. So okay. yeah. I, I think that's true. By the way, it might not be, but we're going to pretend like it is. That is true. It's an honor, guys. So do the complaints come to you directly or do they get filtered by someone before they come to you? Okay, so um, it just depends on where they get sent. So it, depending on if it's through Facebook, Instagram, through our website, um, through email, it, it kind of, it, there's a different uh, system for each, I guess, uh, uh-huh. location of complaint. Uh, most of them that come in, like the big ones I would get are some posts that I'll put on Facebook. And those are those are great. Like we all get a good laugh out of those. The serious complaints. You mean like when you post? I to post stuff Facebook intentionally groups. to Facebook groups to try to get people going because <laughs> we find it hilarious. So you're just stoking uh, the stoking the flame. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And then we have people jumping in there with us, um, uh, making it worse too. Uh, fire away. Okay, so uh, I think it was three years ago, two years ago, we did an Easter. Um, experience. It's like a 10 day or sorry. No, it's like a seven day run for us. Um, usually between, between 10 to 14, um, experiences for Easter. So it goes Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, and we tend to go a little over the top for Easter and Christmas. And, uh, it's, it's more of a, um, it's more of a draw for people who are non-believers in the city to be able to invite them to something that feels non-threatening, feels normal, like a show they would see in town. In Las Vegas. In Las Vegas. And it's an opportunity for them to hear the gospel at the end of that and understand what that means and possibly make a spiritual decision. So that is why we do what we do. So they go from Thunder from Down Under (laughs) to Central's (laughs) Easter. Yes, pretty much. You'd be surprised. You would be surprised. Um, So we posted a photo of uh, we had this big stage set up with a bunch of these um, uh, uh, flame units. They're called salamanders. And so they make a single version and a quad version. The quad version uses four canisters. The single version uses one canister. And we messed around with different heights, and we ended up using the single canister because it still goes, um, I think, 16 feet in the air. So a 16-foot flamethrower, basically. Yeah, times 12 on stage. <laughs> <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? Um, and just to clarify, we do go through all the prom- proper permitting, licensing, inspections, all that stuff. Um, so we posted a photo because I thought we'd, people would get a kick out of it on a certain Facebook group. And, uh, I'll just, I'll read, I'll read through some of the comments we got. First one says, this represents Christ. Well, (laughs) the most passive aggressive, sarcastic comment you can do. No, no context in the story. Here's another one says someone is a big tither dot, dot, dot. It was me. And you know what I love to say to people is uh, most of our special effects are actually donated by a company here in town. Um, that some of the owners attend Central, and a lot of our gear, a lot of our special effects are donated, which is really cool because um, it's hard to be able to pull off really big productions with a small budget. And so we we work it. Uh, let's see. What else do I have? Oh, this this one. This one's good. Is that a church service or a skillet concert? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Is Skillet still around? Yes. Nice. Um, yeah, they probably are. Oh, here, here's a good one. F- is that pyro? More like fire and brimstone. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, a lot of my friends jump on here from other churches around the country and even like guys on my team and we poke we poke at people and 
And we also give them real responses to stuff so they understand why we're doing it. But it's very entertaining. That's cool, though. You got a lot of stuff donated. Oh, yeah. I would say at least half of our production is donated every large event that I do. You said half? I would say half. That's incredible. Because I think a lot of people look at you guys and go like, oh, we can never afford that. But I know firsthand that... You know what our budgets are here. You know what it looks like. I know what your budgets are. And it's a very large church. But the overwhelming majority of the people in your church are very new to the faith. New to the faith. Discipling people about tithing um, happens in a different way than it would at a church in Atlanta or Dallas where people, you know, you start tithing when you get your allowance for mowing the yard. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, yeah, now you go to, you know, whatever mega church and their budgets are crazy. Yours aren't necessarily like that. And not at all. It's, it's very different. So, uh, you know, you got over 20,000 people in your church, but you guys have the budget of a church of probably a quarter of that. Absolutely. So what you're doing is actually super cool when you think about the different things like that. And this is a good story. Well, it's not really a story, just a statement. You guys are trying to upgrade your lighting console. I don't know. It was five or six years ago. You had a volunteer pay for it. Uh, that was so. That was actually the audio console. Uh, oh, upgrade. he bought the the he audio the console. audio consoles. Yeah. So he we ended up selling an existing one that we had, and then he chipped in like a certain amount, and then asked asked someone else to chip in the other amount, and it paid for the front of house and monitor console and all I/O. That's so great. Um, so yeah, that kind of stuff. That's kind of how we have to we make stuff work here. Is um, depend a lot on certain donors, a lot on big vendors, big companies. I've yeah. tried to build relationships with a lot of people here in town. Um, and yeah, we just do the best we can. When you've got vendors and industry folks who understand the mission of what you guys are about, mm-hmm. then it's a no-brainer for them to partner with you because they've got the gear, they've got you know probably not a lot going on on Easter weekend anyway, or for sure. You know, coming up to Christmas, it's like, yeah, our tours are off. So, hey, let's let's give these guys a great deal on creating an amazing experience for the community because of how it resonates with your mission. So, I think it's I think sure. it's awesome. Yeah, and we also live in a city that we have access to really big uh, production vendors that most people don't have. Like, we're very lucky to be able to have that kind of access to right. major vendors. You know, fifteen minutes down the street. Yeah, you got Solotech, PRG, Christie, Four Wall, everybody. They're all, yep. all there. And then a lot of shops that people haven't heard of that have 100 boxes of DMB in their warehouse. Or yeah, little mom and pops. Yeah. Yeah. And they're little the- mom and pops with gigantic inventories in there. Yeah. You know, there's, there's shops here that like there's a vendor that we use that's a, um, no one's ever heard of him, I guarantee you, but in, in this podcast realm, but he does shows for LED and uh, video stuff for like, Lollapalooza, EDC, like, you know, 3,000, 5,000 video tiles, just massive, massive yeah. shows. Wow. But that, he doesn't do anything in Vegas, but his warehouse is here. And so uh, that meeting people like that's critical. That's so cool. That's awesome. All right. So I want to take this a step further. So we did the turn down for MXU. I want Adam to do a soapbox as well, since this is his first time on the podcast and you know, his first time kind of getting to host his own moment. Let's just go full full bore here. So, um, Adam, is, is there a topic that you would say, okay, this is kind of a soapbox for me. Like, this gets under my skin. And, yeah. you know, let's, let's give Adam the MXU soapbox <laughs> for a minute. 
Um, okay, soapbox, right? So uh, one thing that I see that bothers me, I see people post on social media, um, uh, especially front of house guys or monitor guys complaining that their mix sucks or something's not right because of a band member. And I'll see them say like, I walked up on the stage and I threatened to take the drummer's drumsticks away if he didn't learn to play his part. <laughs> or they said, they said, oh, the vocalist was terrible today. It made my whole mix suck. And I'm like, I understand a little bit of what they're saying, but those people that say that are engineers that already suck. And they're just blaming the band and blaming everyone else on their problems. Yep. And that really pisses me off because um, there's much better ways to handle that. And I'd like to see you go up there and do better than that drummer or that vocalist. And then we'll no talk. No joke. Yeah. Totally. It, I feel like some of those guys are just, maybe they're the ones who failed the audition for the worship team and then got put on volunteer duty yes. for the uh, Monday night men's Bible study. <laughs> and then it turned into, oh, the men want a band now. And then the Van Halen cover bands playing at the men's Bible study. And then that's who they're complaining about. Uh, yes. <laughs> wow. they're like, or they, they're like, I went up on stage and I told him he better turn his amp down or I'm going to unplug it. And I'm like, okay. Okay. I can tell uh, how far this guy's going to get in life. When I was 15, I was playing bass for my church, tiny little church in Maryville, Tennessee. And we didn't have really a PA. The PA was for like the pastor's mic. And this, whoever was singing and the band, there's no microphones on anybody. And I'm playing bass through the single 15 hard key combo hard key. with my, my green Yamaha bass with gold knobs. Okay. Heck yeah. And this old man walks on stage during the service. I mean, he's 78 years old and he walks up to me and he says, if you don't turn that amp down, I'm going to stick my foot through it. <laughs> really? Yeah. I'm dead serious. I'm 15 years old. Were you just like, were you just like horrified? Just frozen? No, I don't know what I did, but that just reminded me. Um, and he may as well have been the church sound guy. Nice. Wow. So Amazing. moral of the story is don't complain about the band. Complain about yourself. Get better. I know. I'll get like the next layer of that. Not the next layer. The previous layer is I'll get a text or a DM and it they're basically saying that without saying it. They'll they'll ask a question like, "So, what ratio do I need for my bass guitar to control his bad playing?" <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's yeah, like yeah. they're they're one step away from yeah, just, just it's it's a backhanded way of saying this guy yeah. is terrible. I need to figure out how to control him rather than actually having a reasonable conversation with the guy. You're going right. to sort of passive aggressively go behind his back. Yeah, I get that often. Yeah, I understand that. And I guess I, there probably is some really bad musicians out there. I'm a little like in La La Land because I mix an amazing band <laughs> that, you know, we yeah. work really hard and we've got great players. So, but I'm like, I don't know. I just have a hard time believing that the front of house guy, wherever that's complaining about this is, has that much knowledge to know that that guy's a terrible bass player and the drummer's awful and the singer can't hit her like I don't know. It just doesn't add up to me. That's the thing. It just sucks about the internet too, because now you just say whatever you want. Right. You know, and there's just no recourse. Like it's introverted people who have bad attitudes and they, yeah. they're letting that out through Facebook. Unfortunately, right. they're telling it to 65,000 people instead of the one person. 
that mm-hmm. they won't have a face-to-face conversation with. Yeah, and the real person they need to talk with is never going to darken the door of that Facebook group. And so no. they, they never <laughs> have to worry about that person even finding out. Because that singer who's out of tune or has bad mic technique or whatever is never going to join that kind of Facebook group. So it's just, it's a total cop out. Mm, totally is. Remember that, um, it was a year back or two when someone sent us a complaint about the band leader had posted something online complaining about the sound guy of a university. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. That was kind of the opposite. Like, do you not understand that this is the internet and people see things? People see everything. Yeah. Well, it just reinforces my belief that people are stupid. A hundred percent. Most people are stupid. Um, uh, before we get into the interview, Adam, you're smoking something today. What was that? Was that a pork shoulder? Yes. Yes, it is a pork shoulder. I started it at 8 a.m., to make sure nice. I can have it for, I so true story. Fourth of July rolls around. I'm sitting in my living room, not doing anything, and I see all of my friends posting photos of everything they're making. Lee and Zach and every everybody's posting stuff, and I'm like, crap! I need to make something. Corey, well, we were all doing pork butts that day. Yeah, and so it, but it's and it was like, not coordinated, not at all. It just like, but I wasn't doing anything, and I felt like a total loser and an outsider. So I texted Lee and I was like, Hey, I've never made a pork butt. Like, do I have enough time? It's already 11 AM here. And he said, yeah, you do just get a small one, like a five pounder, six pounder. And then you're going to have to run it a little hot 275, 300. Like you're going to have yeah. to you pat it a little bit. And I said, okay. So I went to the store and I got a 12 pounder, <laughs> <laughs> the exact opposite of what Lee said to do. Uh, Cause that's all they had. And I was like, I'm just going to go for it. And so I put it on there and I ran it at 275. And I got it all finished and rested by like 8 p.m. Still got to eat. So worked out great. Oh, that's good. Had a clean bone pull. Yeah, just it probably because it's so hot here. The grill has a hard time staying under 275. <laughs> well, I did <laughs> mine. I did mine yesterday. Here. So there Ooh, you go. Yeah. Right now. Oh, yeah. man. There's, there's my bite for lunch. Well, it's 245 in the afternoon in South Carolina. I know. Well, I've been talking to you, Yahoos, yeah. and I haven't had a chance to eat my leftovers for lunch. <laughs> 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 yeah, so I'm stoked. We're going to have it tonight. But that's awesome. I never realized how good smoked pork butts were. I need to do beef ribs. That's next for me. Okay. So on to the interview, Adam, why don't you tell us how you met Kyle? I met Kyle, um, through Instagram, uh, when he was on tour with, uh, Kendrick Lamar in 2018, um, was able to talk to him, uh, over the phone a little bit. And we got to meet up in person the next Next time he was in town, I've seen him mixed a couple big artists, um, a Janet you went, Jackson. You went to the Kendrick Lamar tour? I did. That's pretty reprehensible of you, young man. <laughs> uh, there's a funny story that he actually, uh, I was I was at the show, and I'm a big fan of Kendrick Lamar, and I was just kind of like in the zone. I forgot who opened up for him, but I also it was it was a great show. And so I was just enjoying myself, not looking at my phone, just, you know, soaking in the music. And when we left, we left the arena that night. I looked at my phone. It was like two missed calls from this number I didn't know. I put it up to my ear. And he's like, hey, Adam, it's Kyle. Um, we're just about to start sound check. This is like earlier in the afternoon. Like I didn't even hear it or see it. He's like, we're going to hit sound check. I wanted to hit you up, see what you were doing. And I'm like, oh, oh bummer. Missed an opportunity. But we got to connect a few times after that. And I'm so thankful. He is an amazing engineer. He's super knowledgeable, very kind. Um, 
one of the best live mixes I've ever heard. Like out of anybody, his live mix translates like the artist wants wants you to hear it, like the record version, but with live huge energy That's and awesome. full bands. Just really great engineer. He's pretty much mixed everybody in the R and B hip hop world uh, that you can imagine. So I'm excited to talk to him. Yeah, by the end of this interview, hopefully all of you listening have written down some of the things he says. He's got a ton of great one-liners and analogies. And yeah. as he's talking about the relationship with some of the artists he's worked for, picture in your head who you work for. So worship leaders, senior pastors, things like that. There are so many similarities. It's, it's very cool. So good. Well, let's get right to it. Hey, what's up, everyone? Super excited about this. We have special guest with us his name is kyle hamilton kyle mixes for pretty much everybody you've ever heard on <laughs> hip-hop and r&b radio yes kyle your resume is like as long as the cheesecake factory menu i've only used that with one other guy before but it's pretty ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, welcome, welcome to the, to the show. show thanks for having me <laughs> <laughs> it it really is adam sent us a list last night i knew who it was before like mm-hmm. all you had mixed for but uh it's Kendrick Lamar, Janet Jackson, Pharrell, Prince, and, and the list goes on and on and on and on. And when so, you see all those names in one place, like it came via text last night, and it was like, oh, I knew some of those, but oh, yeah, I forgot about that one and that one and that one and that yeah, one and that yeah. one. It's like you see the list, and it's like a paragraph. It's like, okay, this guy's going to be fun to talk to. Yes. Well, I mean, honestly, I mean, the fact that I've been – blessed to be in the industry for 27 years. Um, If I didn't have what I call a mixography of that caliber, then, you know, I must be doing something wrong. And, you know, it's, it's been, it's been, you know, my beginnings was pretty much in the studio first, you know, and uh, learning. Yeah. So how, what what even got got you into into the the studio studio first? first? And And by by the way, way, when you you say say 27 27 years, years, you, you look, look like, like you're, you're 32, 32 years old, so <laughs> I didn't know. You, you must, must have started live sound when you were eight or something. <laughs> no, I, I, August 31st, I'll be 46. You look and, great. I uh, appreciate it. And, uh, you know, what, what? it was It was between music and football, and I really had the physicality for football, but I lost the mental side of it. And... Hmm. <clears throat> I always gravitated towards, I don't play any instruments, but I always gravitated towards, you know, audio. You know, I'm a, I'm a tech head, I'm a gear head, I'm a gadget head. And, you know, my my hobbies in high school is building radio control cars and helicopters and stuff of that nature. And currently, you know, I still do that, but it's not as fun as it used to be because now that you buy them, it's already assembled. And the fun part was building it. <laughs> So fast forward, it was just, you know, my mom's husband at the time was like, you know, you have a great ear because you'd be like a lunchtime DJ. And he said, you know, your mixes are kind of dope. You know, you should, you may think about going toward the path of being an engineer. He said, since you don't play. So I like, hmm, never really thought too much about that, but I always saw the console and it always intrigued me. And um, so... Went to one school. I absolutely hated it because they taught me everything but what I was wanting to learn. And then uh, a client of my mother's uh, was a sound engineer and by the name of Anthony Jeffries. And he said, man, I'm going to come out to the studio and, you know, just hang out and see we see what he gets out of it. And it was like love at first sight. You know, I was like, yo, yeah. I'm in the cockpit of what where records are made, where studio vibe is happening. And... um 
And where was that at? Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Pasadena, Pasadena, okay. California. So the studio that I, at the time, was affiliated with was called Air LA in Glendale. Um, and I worked with the likes of Chucky Booker, Layla Hathaway, uh, group back in the early nineties called Portrait, Gerald Albright, just all different genres of stuff, you know, and it was where I got my beginnings, you know, from being a runner in the studio. And I was like, I'm not here to make coffee, you know, and, and clean toilets and answer phones. How do I ascend within the studio, but still kind of learn at the same time. So that's why I approached AJ, like, Yo, I want to be your assistant. Whatever you do, I want to be here when you're doing it, learning. And he said, well, I never thought about having an, an assistant per se. Well, come on, let's, let's, let's see how it works. And whenever he was there, I was there, you know, if he had it. And he also did live sound as well. So I got, I got double education like I'm um, learning, learning two different disciplines, but within the same genre of music per se. And it was him that gave me the foundation to uh, figure it all out. And then from that, well, I kind of did it in reverse. Uh, I, I sat underneath him and then I also went to L.A. Recording Workshop at the same time. Um, which at the time they were in North Hollywood. Now they're in um, Hollywood, California now. And uh, excelled there. And from then, it was uh, off to the races where I really got my live child per se, doing gospel plays. Um, hmm. And, you know, being in a situation where you're the front of house guy, you say you your own tech, you're everything. But yeah, the beauty of it is we would be in a venue for two to three weeks. So it wasn't the the grueling load in, load out, move to the next city. I didn't even do anything about that. I was like, okay, let's just go to work. Uh, the pr- pr- the producer of the play happened to be a client of my mother's, and he said, when I get graduate school, I have a job with him. And he just called the, the sound company. Um, his, the guy's name was Tom Hare for Suter Audio out of Tallahassee, Florida. Mm-hmm. And... Um, he called Tom. He said, a good friend of mine, um, her son is a graduate recording school, and he's going to mix my plays. It was kind of just cut and dry like that. And he told Tom to show me what I needed to know and come out there and go to work. And if I last, we'd be good. If not, I get fired and get sent home. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, uh, I, I think my first console I ever touched for the Allen and Heath GL3000, something like that, a very basic console. Hey, that was the one with the sweepable low band on it, though. Yep. <laughs> and uh, uh, it was it was, it was was cool, you know, dealing with, you know, 16 lavaliers on stage, 16 to 20 lavaliers. And the interesting part was dealing with the band being in front of the, in front of the proscenium. So that was interesting because oh, yeah. you hear the band before the audio per se before the vocals so it was different but hey you know who am i to complain i'm I'm out here making eight hundred dollars a week thinking i'm balling out of control yeah (laughs) you know like (laughs) like, i'm making eight hundred dollars a week this is this is killing Uh, you know but uh it was basically paid education well that's crazy because you know there are very few people first of all they get to learn studio and live at the same time. Mm-hmm. But then for you, 
with the live having not just music but drama like all the all the love mics and spoken word stuff and band together that's that's huge it's really rare because a lot of a lot of our guys you know people listening right now they have to deal with headset mics and lav mics and all that rf coordination and getting the mic to sound good with and without music and all that and you were you were able to just learn that as part of your development experience which Correct. must have been a huge advantage at the beginning yeah i mean it's like all that all those hours of you know trial and error within a paid setting first of all Second of all, with audience. So it's like you're able to, I think for me, I was really able to, what I call, tune my ears into frequencies as far as, you know, feedback especially. You know, so right, right at this game, game stage of the game, you know, feedback is against my religion. You can't have feedback. Mm-hmm. That's impossible. You know, especially with all the tools we have available now. But even back then, we didn't do feedback. You had to realize, you know, okay, you have the proximity effect, you know, taking different microphones out of phase when they get closer to each other. Just all these different tricks that, you know, unfortunately, kind of in today's world is a lost art. You know, nobody really just thinks right. about, okay, well, I have one I have one mic, but I have two sources. Do I necessarily need two mics? Not necessarily, depending on what it is, you know, Um Everything in, in in the studio world, you learn about mic placement, you know, you know, further, closer. There's so many different variants that make something sound good or bad just by the placement of the mic. You know, you have a lot yeah. of people who can't even really mic a drum kit properly. They just throw the mics up there and like, how come this? Okay, well, your drums sound terrible or your drums can sound amazing. But it's just you move a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right, up or down. It changes everything. You know, and you learn these little studio tricks that translate into the live world and live world stuff that translate into the studio. So it's like, you know, I was my beginnings was a blessing for me because I got both disciplines at the same time without having any what I call uh, getting bad habits or just saying, well, it worked yesterday. It should work today. You know, yeah. You know, in the studio, what worked yesterday should work today. And the live world will work yesterday, probably won't work today. You know? So you don't <laughs> get complacent. Good. So that's why I said, you know, I like the, having the balance of both sides because it keeps you thinking, of, thinking of pro- actually problem solving and troubleshooting. Because that's where you're, weighted, you're worth your weight in gold by troubleshooting. Because when it works, yeah, yeah. it's beautiful. But when it doesn't work, that's where you make your money. Yeah, that gospel the play you're talking about, the, the phrase that came to mind was, combat audio that's really kind of what that is right it's mm-hmm. like lower budget a ton of laughs mm-hmm. band in front of the pa that's just all you're just making decisions to not ruin the day yeah all, all day you know what i mean but then when you get into an arena and you've got everything that you want you're still using that stuff and that's it's all in the back of your head but to me because you you went through combat audio first. It makes you better when everything is is correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, because again, it gives you 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 already primed not to flinch. Oh, you think well, it's not. It's gonna fail. Just when is it gonna fail? Right. And now, <laughs> when it fails, you react to solve it instantly because you've been in that position before. 
as reacting, looking over your shoulder at your systems engineer, yo, what just happened? And he, first of all, he probably isn't even paying attention, don't realize what happened. So again, that's why for me, I'm very hands-on in the programming of my desk. Even as far as even how the PA is tuned, the only thing I'm really not doing is flying the PA, but I'm looking at it to make sure it's flowing properly and how I want it to be hung. But yeah. my I, my my uh, systems engineers, I really bore them to death because I'm I, I do everything myself for the most part. Yeah. So when something does fail, I can fix it because again, I'm the pilot of the ship. Mm-hmm. Right. And the artists now they're looking at you and they're asking you what happened, not the system engineer. They don't. They they probably even know the system engineer's name. Right. And nine times out of ten. They 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 pay us for peace of mind because at the end of the day, anybody could push faders up, but you know the integrity of the show, you know the little nuances of their show, and you know them. You know when they're you know when they're full voice, you know when they're fatigued, you know when they're just you know going through the motions. You know them, yeah. so they're paying us these these salaries for peace of mind. Anybody can literally, literally push up a fader. Okay, so good transition here. How did you go from mixing a gospel production to the damn tour with Kendrick Lamar? <laughs> well, honestly, I would have to say it was a phone call. <laughs> no, but yeah. uh, I mean, realistically, what happened was the transition from the gospel to even doing any sort of uh, production, touring production, happened basically through Suter Audio. Suter also, in the summertime, when the Shed Tours were, were going on, had a client called the Isley Brothers. And I was offered a front-of-house system engineer position over there for the, sh- for the Sheds. So in those days, you know, they were like, well, you know how to fly PA? I had never flown PA in my life. Because uh, on the plays, all we did was ground stack or tie into the mm-hmm. existing, you know, PA in the, home, in the, in the theater. Uh, I said, look, I know how to fly a PA, but every every sound company does it differently, or every PA is flown differently. Send your your crew chief out and show me the ropes, and I rock out with you. I go I go to town. So, so the system engineer came out, the crew chief came out, and uh, showed me how to fly that particular PA, which is the EAW six fifty rig, fairly easy. <laughs> but since I had never done it, I'm like, yeah, okay, figure it out. He showed me the ropes. The next day I was flying it by myself, doing everything. And I went off to the races doing a summer shed tour with the Isley Brothers as the as the systems engineer. And from there, just worked out with them for a couple of years. When the Isley Brothers thing finished, they had another tour with a host of artists, Casey and JoJo, John B. You just took me back to my seventh grade dance, my first kiss at Casey and JoJo right there. <laughs> you know, and, you know, Dave Hofstra, all of them. And on, again, a pseudo audio client and um, just went through the motions with them. And then one day from the Isley Brothers camp, I get a call from the tour manager, Woody, um, Woody Johnston. He's since passed. And um, are you ready to mix the Isley Brothers? I said, what do you mean? What happened to the guy? He said, I didn't ask you that. Are you ready to mix the Isley Brothers? I said, hell yeah, I'm ready to mix the Isley Brothers. What do you mean? Am I ready? Let's go. <laughs> and I mixed the Isley Brothers for a good five, six years. 
And uh, but within all that, I mixed a host of other artists like Avant, Mary J. Blige, and, and all of it came from pretty much word of mouth. You yeah. know, I was do one artist, and you know, like I tell people even to this day, your 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 what the show you're doing now is basically your audition for your next gig, because all these mm-hmm. gigs have an expiration date. You know, that's good. And so, again. I, I've since my 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 mixing style has changed over the years because I have to evolve, but you constantly have to reinvent yourself. And you know the way I mix the Isley Brothers is completely different to how I mix Janet or Pharrell or Lionel or Stevie. You know, and the fact that I can say those names and have actually been on their direct payroll as opposed to a festival situation. Somebody, like, yeah, I mix for yada, 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 but it's on a festival. You haven't really truly worked right. with them. Right. You know, yeah. so these are truly clients of mine, you know, that I've toured and I could walk up to them and, hey, Kyle, how you doing? And it's, you know, and most artists don't pay you any attention. But, right. you know, even when I got the gig with Prince, I said, I was told, don't look him in the eye, you know, only shake his hand if he reaches out to shake your hand. I'm like, look, he's a man just like I am. I'm going to say, how you doing, Chief? And I shake his hand, look him dead in the eye. And if I can't do it, then I don't need to be here. You know, I'm mm-hmm. not going to tiptoe around another man. And I'm here to be a part of your camp. Yeah. And for those listening, Prince has a reputation for burning through front of house engineers and getting on the console himself if mm-hmm. he didn't like the way things were sounding. So, like, in our world, if you've made it through working for Prince, you, you've you done it. You I call, I call, when I rocked with Prince, I called, I called it the Purple University, you know, because everything you knew or thought you knew about audio, he completely changed your perspective, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, wow. And, and working with him... I learned one thing, nothing else I learned from him was, look, never tell an artist no, let them make the decision and make let them think that they telling you the right decision. But even though you already made a decision for them, let them think they made that decision. Because he, because if you don't give them an opportunity to paint their picture and see it fail, then they discredit you. Like, oh, he know what he was talking about. Anyway, I said, well, you know, I, they said, well, what do you recommend? Well... Now that you asked me, even though I told you this from from Jump Street, let it come yeah. full circle, <laughs> because they're like, I've been doing this for X Y Z years. It should be this, 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 and this. Cool. Do your thing. I you have multi platinum records forever. Right. How am I to tell you what you can and can't do? Even though you're paying me to give you that expertise, I'm gonna let you make the decision. And I'm going to just do follow your wishes, even though it could be the dumbest thing in the face of earth. You know, like for me, we parted ways and then they called me back five or six times. I graciously declined when he put a 13 piece horn section at front of house directly behind me on a one on a (laughs) one foot stage platform so that all the bells were at my ear level. And he says to me, Kyle, why does it sound different? I said, well, funny you ask that. You just have a 13-piece horn section directly behind me with nothing between me and them. How am I supposed to hear the show? And the production manager kind of froze. Like, you can't talk to him like that. I'm like, yo, if it's a stupid idea, that's a dumb idea. (laughs) (laughs) That idea was dumb. I mean, I get it. You want to be a visionary or whatever, but that's dumb because now I can't hear. 
Now I'm hearing horns. And even on some of the greatest songs that he has, you know, the horn section is killing. And they literally killing my ears, too. <laughs> so, you know, we went out and I was cool. I'm out. You know, send me home. And the direct sound from the horns right behind you acoustically is hitting you probably 100 milliseconds earlier than the, t- the sound from the PA. So it's like this ping pong thing the whole time. And that's just not going to make for a good mix. And I told him, I said, that's like you singing next to a fire truck with the sirens blaring. God, you can't, yo, whatever, man. I, I'm out. But they called, but again, I didn't yes him saying, yo, that's perfect. No, that instance, we had to go. We had to go to battle. Um, yeah. Because now you're directly affecting me, even though you're trying to get your most, your, your, your paint, your picture. I didn't agree with that picture. But um, we parted ways, and then I got, you know, four more calls back. And I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I referred him someone. Um, you guys all know him, probably Jeremy Peters. We work a lot together. Him and I work got in tandem together a lot. And Jeremy rocked out with Prince up until, you know, his passing. Wow. Um, but, you know, I did, I did a strong six, eight months with him. I mean, it was great, yeah. you know. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, all situations come to an end. And I left with the knowledge saying, you know what? I learned a lot from him. But, you know, again, he's an artist and all artists have quirks about them. And you have to understand that, you know, an artist could walk past you and not say anything. They literally probably have choreography in their head, lyrics in their head. Right. Or just they just trying to just gather themselves because they have to rock audiences across the world for 90 minutes to 120 minutes a day, 15, 20, 30,000 people on any given night. So they're off in a different stratosphere sometimes. Mm -hmm. So you can't Mm -hmm. take it personally when they don't speak to you if you're looking them dead in the eye. You're like, okay, they look different today. Hey, there's something on their brain. You know, they have to be in in entertainment mode all the time. So if you catch them on a time where they're just in their zone, don't get offended by it. So Prince, uh, turns out, has a lot of similarities to senior pastors at churches it sounds like <laughs> you know it's like like you said they come up with these crazy ideas and it's so funny when you're telling that story you could have replaced prince with a senior pastor to church it's mm-hmm. i built this place there's five thousand people coming here every week you've been here three months trust me but what you said like nope let them try their idea and then when they come back to you and ask you what you think well Glad you asked. Let me tell you what I think. That's as a matter of fact, I've thought about this. Mm-hmm. Right. We see that all the time with churches. Absolutely. That's great advice. Yeah. So I mean, that's just, you know, how those worlds merged and has brought me to, you know, being able to, you know, mix the Janets, the Kendricks, the, you know, the Pharrells, the Stevie Wonders, the, you know, the Lionel Richies. You know, and then you got the Chris Browns, you know, all the young kids who run around here yeah. and the most creative people on the face. They're like, yo, how did you even think of that? You know, yeah. so, I mean, I, I, I've it seemed like I've touched both sides, you know, in a in a way that, you know, when I think about it and I look at it and people remind me of what I've done, like, yo, wow, I did do that. You know, yeah. when we did the Rihanna 777 tour, we did seven countries in seven days. It, it was crazy. You know, we we had two we had two crews. We would land, and when we were pulling up to the venue, the crew that got everything set up for us is flying to the net. Everything was leapfrog. Yeah. So it was it was crazy. You know, and 
you know, I sometimes think about it. luckily the name of my company is Never Sleep Productions because we didn't sleep at all. <laughs> you know, we flew on the plane, but you know, sleep on a plane is few yeah, and far between, especially for that particular run. You know, we had we had the audience with us too. So it was kind of like a private thing. They had a few people there, but we all we had a 747 full of people. Wow. You know, wow. Uh it was uh the artists, the crew, band, then all the uh, uh, VJs and contestant winners. It was it was amazing. Yeah. But you know, I you know, if it weren't for, you know, the way that I learned when I was young, I would have never been able to pull off some of these things that I've pulled off. That's cool. So, Adam, you heard Kyle Mix the first time. What show was it? Uh, it was the Damn Tour with Kendrick Lamar. I think that was in, was that in 2018? Yes. 2017, 2018? Mm-hmm. Yeah, at uh, T-Bubble Arena here in Las Vegas. And um, one of the things that uh, stuck out to your, stuck out to me about your mix, Kyle, was, and I, you and I talked about this a little bit at Janet, was I feel like your mix translated from what the artist record sounds like to live almost exactly but it had this amazing live energy to it where a lot of the times you'll hear, I, I hear a lot of big acts um, through that arena and man, at least, at least half of them or more sound terrible. And we're talking like major A-list artists that don't sound like what you would expect them to sound like. Mm-hmm. And I now heard you mix two big artists where I was like, this is incredible. I hear, I hear every little detail. I hear the full band. It's not just a load of tracks. Like you hear everything. And the same with um, even the Janet residency. Every song is from a different genre, a different time period, and they all sound different, but they sound right. And so I guess a question for you is, what is that like working with artists to create that sound? Like, how did you develop that style where you decided, I want to create, um, I want to create this perfect sound that the artist wants? What's that relationship like working with them, working with the band during rehearsals? Like, how do you lead up to that? Because I think that translates for a lot of the guys in the church world that really want to work with the band, like the drums aren't sounding right. How do you approach the drummer in that situation or the MD and say, Hey, this is not fitting. Um, in, 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 when you guys are doing your tour rehearsals, is that um, something you could elaborate on? Yeah. I mean, it, it first, it starts with when I get a call for whoever artist it is, I instantly, if I don't already own their catalog, I buy their catalog and I listen to all their records. I just have it. I put a playlist together and that's all I listen to. Because mm-hmm. if you don't know their music, how can you mix their music? Even the song that you don't like, you still have no, because that might be a B song record that you do on the tour, just for, you know, for time filler. So I take the time to learn all the records first. And then when you learn, especially when you're dealing with like a Kendrick Lamar and Janet or even Pharrell, my rehearsal that I give them has to sound like the record. So when it's what sounds like in the room, my two mix, everything sounds just the same. Cause a lot of times you hear, you can hear a two mix from the desk and there's zero low end in it. There's no, there's no punch. There's no, cause you, right. a lot of people right. make the PA do all the work and the desk is cruising at, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, it's just right. you're looking at the desk and there's really no dynamic, even to looking at the fader, everything that's zero, all the, all the LEDs are green. There's no, you're not pushing anything, right, you know, right. you have to, you know, you run at 96 K and you're not using all 96. You know, you leave, I leave, what I say is I leave no bits on the table. <laughs> you know, I push the desk. I run a hot yeah. desk. I like it. Yeah. And 
So what happens is I've studied the music, and then like a lot of time when you when the, especially with, the, with Janet and and um and uh, Pharrell and Kendrick, there's a lot of uh, triggered stuff that the drummer is is playing. So you have to break Pro Tools down too, you know, so that it can breathe. And I also use a lot of channels out of Pro Tools. I don't do the standard eight or sixteen. I is my our Pro Tools account is in the stratosphere. We use quite a bit, yeah, but yeah. I spread it out so you don't overload the buses. You let the buses breathe. Yep. And it's about balancing Pro Tools too. Sitting with the Pro Tools engineer, yo, what's that? Demaster all that. I mean, I mean, take take all the stems apart and we right. re-engineer the stems because what what works, what translates on the record for the radio doesn't always translate in an arena. So you have to find those sounds that make sense, that work. And if, you know, a drummer is playing a snare, uh, a triggered snare, I can't have two triggered snares. We're going to take the triggered snare either out of the probe, out of the box, or the drummer's not going to play acoustic snare. And then you have to give things space too. You know, if you got five, you got all these kicks going on. Well, I don't hear this. Well, do you taste the egg in a cake? No, you just taste cake and everything is a mix of people say, well, I can't hear this. Well, okay. Especially background singers. Well, I can't Mm -hmm. hear my part. Well, there's three background singers (laughs) singing the same part that stacked 30 times in Pro Tools. Yeah. Right. How are you going to hear your particular note? If you knew I'm doing something wrong. Again, I go back to the cake analogy. I don't, you can't taste the vanilla in the cake. You taste the whole cake in a whole. Vanilla adds this down a third. You you may taste a lemon because it's 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 tangy. Mm. But again, if you sing a note that's different from what the what the what the whole is, then you're going to hear that. Mm. Yeah. But you're not going to hear everything saying note for note and say how come you can't hear me? Well, sing something different. You know. <laughs> so you have to have space and you have to give everything. And for me. I do a lot of imaging too. That I give stuff its own place and time. Everything is not hard left, hard right. Cool. You know, even this a stereo pad on a keyboard, you know, I may do it nine and three. You know, it just all depends on what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And now you have to give everything with because there's so much information that's coming out of the box and with the band is playing. If you don't give it its image or for space, it's just gonna sound like a tsunami of sound coming at you and you have no definition. So mm-hmm. my thing is imaging. I listen to the records first, first and foremost, and then I get with the drummer and say, yo, this doesn't sound right. Do this, do that, do this, do that. And with the keyboard players, we need to do this, that, and that. And like, even with patches, I'm not chasing a keyboard player over his patches. I'm not going to every song. And I use compression and everything to make stuff pop, not to control you. I'm not trying to limit you. So yeah, yeah. when you when a oh. player is playing a pad and you hear a stab, you if you hear my stab, my stabs have weight to them when they play. Yeah, yeah. Because there's no limiter on. I'm it. I'm not crushing them because I know when he hits that keyboard, what's going to happen. I'm not playing like, wow. I hope this patch today isn't nuclear, and then the next song <laughs> I can barely hear it. Right. So I go through them and look. We got to balance all this out. If your softest sound. Is this what it is? Then you bring your loudest sound to the softest sound. 
and we're going to balance all your patches out. And then we bring your overall mix up and make it all make sense from patch to patch. So everything is audible, not your string patches through the roof. And then you play a road and you can barely hear it. That's great. Because I'm not running anything through mixers either. I have separate inputs for everything. I don't want I don't want just a left right from coming from keyboard player. So if a keyboard player has four keyboards, I got eight inputs. Yep. Cool. You know, I, I want everything stretched out. I want everything spread out. I approach it like I'm in the studio. Mm-hmm. That's my approach. I don't want you giving me stems of anything. I want everything spread out so I can have control. Go ahead. Uh, sorry, I was just going to say that's a huge point for, especially for our church guys who work with a lot of tracks. Mm-hmm. Because what sounds great to the MD in their headphones when they're building the tracks mm-hmm. or what they downloaded from the internet or whatever, however they're getting their tracks. If it's all in a two mix, it might sound great in your ears, but you have no idea how that's going to translate to the PA. Mm-hmm. So without that communication with the engineer and giving you the flexibility to split out things as much as possible, if you have the channels, man, split those all out so that you can treat each part individually because you can't just guarantee that a two mix of your tracks is going to translate to the PA. Correct. And with, with band communication, if it's a six if it's a five piece band, I'm the sixth member. I'm part of the band. So I interact with them wholeheartedly. You know, I give them my my opinion. I say, Well, you don't like it, listen to it. Tell me what you feel about it. And that's again, that's that print stuff. Listen to it. you hear it yourself. Oh yeah, that's not working. I told you, let's do something else, or let's do this, or let's try that. You know, it's because it's all a collective effort to make everybody look good. But it's amazing how their opinion might change. If they're standing out with you in front of the PA, Mm -hmm. they're going to have a completely different opinion of what they're bringing to the table because they've never heard it that way before. Mm -hmm. And so to give them the opportunity to actually hear what you're hearing is huge. And and with that, that's where the virtual sound checks come in complete. You know, that's where I I live by that. I multi-track everything, you know, so I can play it back, let them hear, yeah, this is what you gave me. Oh, that's either dope or it could be, oh, we need to fix that. Yeah, you do. I'm not the, (laughs) you hearing it for yourself. It's not me, you know? So I, and so I've given you, and that's, you know, and and even for the church stuff now, you know, the fact that these consoles are, you know, giving you the ability to multi-track now. Um, And so I, I, I've, I've, that's all I do. You know, when we, when we multi-track, let them hear back. See how it's how it's resonating in the room. Of course, things change once the band plays on top of it, mm-hmm. because you know in certain churches the acoustics can be this, that, or the third, you know, and you know your drums give you the most give you uh, the most problems because you know you're not in a, a controlled environment and everything is relatively close. So the drums where you are unless you have them in a cage, but other than that, you know you. You know, with with giving everybody in ears and 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 if you could control the drums sonically, then everything else kind of falls into place. Especially if you have everybody on ears. But yeah, the 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 being able to virtually sound check in church is incredible. So uh, I want to go back to one thing you said. You're affirming something that I, I was feeling about when the MDs are making their tracks or the producer, mm-hmm. and then they throw some type of mastering stuff on the the left right and then mm-hmm. they send you that and it's all squashed it's so much better for me as a front house engineer if there's no compression on any of that mm-hmm. because when you're at 96 98 100 db and the pa's up in the air 
those boxes are already doing some type of compression anyway. And then when you throw in a, if you throw in a CD, well, whatever those are anymore, but you plug your <laughs> iPhone in and you turn a track up to 100 dB, sometimes it doesn't sound that good. No. There's no pop. There's no punch. So like taking all that off. And then the other thing you said was letting your buses breathe. Mm -hmm. I just figured this out that I run hot inputs too. Mm -hmm. So like if I've got, let's say 14 channels of drums and they're all, they're not hitting red on the inputs, but they close. Mm -hmm. When that hits the bus, the bus is clipping Mm -hmm. because all that stuff stacks up against each other. So keeping that stuff a little lower, or like you said, maybe you only have a bus for kick and snare and then Tom's is a bus and then everything else or just spacing it out. So you're not stacking a bunch of super hot inputs into your buses. Mm-hmm. That's something I've been doing too. So it's good to hear you say. Yes, sir. So, uh, before we hit record, you were talking about what you've been doing on uh, you called it coronation, which is hilarious, <laughs> but you've been, uh, you've been helping a church near you with their recorded services. Uh, yes, it's the church is called New Way Bible Church, South Bay. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, since well, I took over the audio ministry um, in October of last year, but I wasn't really I, I would do a service here and there, you know, if I was in town. Um, and then once the world came to an abrupt halt. And uh, we hit this, what I call the coronation. Uh, they started doing virtual services, you know. So now we record um, not every Saturday, but we record some Saturdays may do one service. Some Saturdays may do two services, you know, for later, later broadcasts. But we uh, we record it like it's a live service. Um, the beauty of it is now. Now, the music ministry has a different feel because now you're mixing for what I call the world versus for a room. So in in the, in the church, you know, again, the drums are going to do what they're going to do because then they, that church particularly doesn't have a cage for the drummer. So when he, he's playing as soft as he can to still make the drums sound like something. But, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, the drums are the loudest thing. Then the bass player, guitar player, we've, we've killed their amps, basically, because everybody's now on in-ears. Yeah. So we, it's almost like we're mixing it for like a, uh, a music video or broadcast. So it comes out sounding like a live record without the wash, you know, so it's like a direct record almost. And... Um, th- it's funny because the, the congregation almost prefers listening to it like that than inside of the con- inside of the sanctuary, because it's it's a, and, and basically for this particular church they're um, they're a newer church they're only two years old so they're what I would call their funding for having a massive PA inside the facility is on the is is coming it's not there yet. So yeah. they don't have a lot of PA. So that's another problem. You know, they have, you know, 45 foot ceilings and, you know, it's, it's a huge place, but the PA yeah. is next to nothing. So yeah. that's why you have a lot of ambient sound in there because you're not pushing enough air. 
You know, they have it is a beautiful facility. You just don't have the the infrastructure to make it sound right just yet. Will they in the near future? Yeah, we're working on some things for them. But right now, everything is ground stacked and it's, you know, not much PA at all. So the fact that the the ministry sounds better over the Internet because we're able to mix. You can really feel the weight of the band and the praise singers itself. So it gives it a whole different dynamic listening to it on your television through your sound bar than being in the actual sanctuary. Well, that's a good sign because most right. people, when they get played through a laptop or a TV, yeah. the band sound worse. So that band must be pretty good. <laughs> I mean, the, I mean, the band is 100% solid. I mean, they they play for a little bit of everybody in the R&B world, again, since everybody has shut down. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, it goes back to the same thing, same principle. You know, you mix it from the standpoint of what the record, even though they're covering it, but you still mix it in that same vein. You know, mm-hmm. you put, you know, so no matter what I'm doing, I still give it the same, the same energy I would if I was on a tour. Cool. That's really we'll cool. Have to, we'll have to check that out. Yeah, I need to hear um, that. Can you tell us the story of how your PA ended up all over I-5? <laughs> wow. That was interesting <laughs> one. That, <laughs> yeah, I got a call that morning. Well, basically, we had just finished doing two shows at the Staples Center. And great shows. We load out. Everything's going good. And a drunk driver cuts off our, our PA truck. He doesn't hit the car, but he the car ends up hitting someone else. So he swerves and he basically jackknifed the semi on the, on the five freeway. And he wow. spilled our view PA all over the road. Um, fortunately, view is... Uh, is, is is built tough <laughs> because <laughs> even though it spilled out all over the freeway, the <clears throat> only thing that happened to it was some of the, the facial stuff was, you know, scuffed up or whatnot. Um, and they had to recertify it to make sure that it was still fly safe, fly worthy. Um, so I was out, I was without my PA for really only two shows. Um, and it was back up, you know, ready to rock and roll. None of the cones were damaged. It was 100% solid. It just, you know, had some... All the drivers drivers were okay. None of all the electronics are good. Yeah, it was just... That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it, it took a bad... It, like I said, nothing... It was more uh, of the, the, the visual look of it. They, you know, they scuff it up and everything. I've had to refix some grills or whatnot. But all the components were 100% solid. That's crazy. Is it a powered speaker? Uh, yes. That's even more impressive that all those amps in the back of the mm-hmm. boxes were okay. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, well, I take that back. The subs are powered and the, the main PA is not powered. Okay. It's a passive box, but yeah, all the subs are definitely powered, but yeah, it, 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 it took a beating and, uh, it, uh, kept on ticking literally, you know, I mean, if it wasn't for the time just to, to make sure it was certified, we could have, you know, flown it that next day. But yeah. we had to make sure it was safe. I just had a picture in my mind of driving behind that truck in my own car, <laughs> and all of a sudden there's a subwoofer coming at me. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure I'd want to be on the road that night. Yeah, and those uh, <laughs> dual 21s are no joke. <laughs> they're, sure. they're huge. 
You were one of the first guys that took that PA out on a big tour. Uh, not one of them. I was the first one to view. Okay. I, 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 actually, <laughs> I actually launched a view PA on a touring scale. Okay. So it was, it, was, it, was, it was awesome for me to be a part of that whole campaign because, you know, I, I fought. I had to fight for for about a year to get that to happen. It, it wasn't a just, sure, whatever you want to use, let's go. You know, it was an yeah. uphill battle. But once it hit the hit the hit the uh, the mainstream, people were like, "Yo, what is that?" And mm-hmm. for me to be the one to 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 for my personal accolades, say that I broke a PA, you know that that goes speaks volumes for me as far as far as my career goes. Like, yo, I, I was afforded the opportunity, and I grabbed the bull by the horns, and you know my word was able to help launch something that's a that's an awesome product. Yeah, that's cool. so cool. It's very cool. And brave of you to uh, take that PA out and be the first one. I mean, so obviously you love it. Yeah, if it could, if it, if it crashed and burned and didn't perform like I knew it could, my world would have been nothing moving forward. So you know, but yeah. you have to take. But again, you know, somebody took a chance with everything. You know, they took a chance mm-hmm. with the JBL stuff. They took a chance with Adamson. You know, I mm-hmm. was just you know lucky to be one of the persons to be given the the keys to the car, and it worked out. So while we're on the topic of gear, why don't you talk us through some of your other preferences? What what console are you using? How much do you use outboard gear versus plugins? What's your what's your workflow like in terms of your setup? Um, my workflow is real simple. I mean, I use a con- uh, my my console of choice is a Digital SD seven. Um, I've never heard of it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> as far as outboard gear goes, I'm real simple. Before I change to the um. UA plugins, uh, I would just have maybe four Avalons, and as far as my and that was it, and just use desk stuff in the desk. My thing is with plugins, is especially when you dealing with solid artists and solid bands, you know, a lot of the stuff that you use a plugin for is, in my personal opinion is recreating the atmosphere that you're already in. So for me, it's like, if I'm in an arena, I don't need a bunch of crazy reverbs. Why? Because the reverb that's in the plug-in is I'm in it. I don't need Mm. redundant reverbs. Um, Then the vocal processing, okay, give me a nice tube compressor that's solid, and that's about all I need because at the end of the day, for me, I don't need a host of them either because the beauty of the uh, the SD7, say for instance, you know, the mic channel, her mic, the main vocal mic goes down. I can go to the spare within the same channel and still have the, the same, input, yeah, hit the alternate yeah. input and I'm still on the same signal flow. So I don't need multiple compressors for that. And the likelihood of both of them going down are slim to none. Unless at that point, we probably have a power failure. Something strange is happening. Um, yeah. You know, it's a, and the same thing for the bass. I put a comp on the bass and then, you know, whatever else I may randomly do. But overall, I don't use a lot of plugins because, again, from the Pro Tools standpoint, whatever that we are using has been processed to death. Why should right. I add more processing on top of processing, especially mm-hmm. when it may not even really translate because I'm in a I'm a hundred feet away from the PA, got fifteen thousand people in a room, 
Nine times out of ten, you're not gonna hear what it's doing anyway. So why add that to the to the workflow with the potential for failure, i.e., something crashing or whatnot? But that's why I use the the UA stuff because it's it, it acts as a complete standalone. You know, there's nothing comp dealing with the console. So if that crashed, I literally just bypass it and I don't lose yeah. audio. Um, yeah. So for me, my work, my 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 plugins are next to nothing. You know, I use a couple little things here and there. But it's actually I use the uh, plugins. Do I use? I think on top of my head. I love that you're having to think about it. Yeah. It just shows that you're like, eh. No, I, honestly, I I can almost care less about plugins. I use you now. The reason why I use them um, for that is because um, Avalons are dope. I love them, but you know the tubes get rattled around sometimes, and they start doing little quirky things. Um, mm-hmm. and it's just easier to just have it like, uh, even the, the UA, they also have the Avalon in there. Now they just recently created that plugin within the last, I say year, maybe, um, I've yet to use it. I use the manly stuff in there. Mm. Yeah. Um, fortunately for the bands that I mix for, they already give me great sounding inputs. So I don't have to add all that extra stuff to it to kind of make it. I mean, they're they're they're, they're programming of their keyboards, their drum tuning, uh, the trigger sounds. Everything is pretty much almost identical to what the records are. So for me to go there and try to change the the anything about it, you know, that'd be counterproductive because they've already done the work. Um, so if you give me a solid input that sounds dead on to what they to what the record is. There's nothing for me to spice it up with. It's already spiced, you know. That's great. You know, so the the cooks in the kitchen, i.e., the band, they already giving me everything. Else. All I really have to do is just plate it. That's good. That's good stuff right there. That is good. Awesome. Well, Kyle, as we're wrapping up here, thank you so much for doing this, man. We really appreciate. Yeah, man, it was awesome. I see uh, uh, your son made a guest appearance there. What are you guys doing to? Uh, use all this free time you get any hobbies or what's keeping you guys busy uh, your family? we 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 play a lot of basketball um he's he's only 10 but he's he's a big 10 um so he and basketball is his favorite sport something that he just naturally picked up himself i had no influence on that he was like dad i want to do this, this. <laughs> cool because unfortunately a lot of times parents want to live their dreams through their kids you know, yeah. and I, I'm not one to do that. I might let him do what he wants to do. If he wanted to play soccer, play soccer. You know, I played football, but he gravitates towards basketball. And I do like basketball. But, I mean, between basketball um, and uh, he's um, getting into uh, golf. I picked up golf last year. And he likes coming to the golf course and swinging the clubs nice. a little bit. You know, just nice. you know, just if nothing else, just giving him a bunch of experiences. You know, yeah. You know, you know, kids' are, minds are endless, and unless you expose them to things, you know, they ultimately limited to video games and you know watching stuff on YouTube. Which yep. which is strange to me. I'm like, why would you want to watch somebody else play a game? That's <laughs> right. <laughs> if I couldn't play I, it, I'm not watching somebody playing because I want to play it. I'm with you on that one. I don't yes. get that whole thing at all. They're a little different, but nonetheless, you know, we do, we do a lot of outdoor activities. You know, and he he That's gets cool. exposure to a lot of stuff. He comes to the church, 
and to rehearsals that I may have around and just soak it up, you know, and, you know, you expose them to enough, they figure out what they want to do, you know, as an adult, you know, and see that there's many options like, okay, you can make a whole lot of money and not be in front of the camera or be in front of the microphone. You know, you could be behind the scenes and sometimes, and in a lot of cases, depending on the longevity of it, we, as a, as engineers can make more than what artists make because depending on if they're one hit wonder, you know, if they have the longevity was, uh, you know, a year or two. Cause right now it's not even 15 minutes of fame. It's, you know, right. One song, you yeah. know, and, and what is fame now? You know, people don't even sell records anymore. You know, now the, the cash cow is touring. You have to tour to make money. And in order to tour, you got to have a guy in front of house monitors and to rock out with you. So, you know, it's it's the 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 world has changed in that regard. But you know, just give him all kind of ways to see what's going on in life, and not just being the one who's in front of the camera. Behind the scenes is, is a lot going on, and you, depending on what it is, you get to go home every night. Right, right. That's a big deal. Awesome. Well, we're going to have to do this again. We'd love to have you back. You had so much good stuff to say, man. I was like writing down tons. <laughs> I'm a phone call away. <laughs> awesome. Love it. Awesome. Well, we hope the rest of your coronation goes uh, goes well and is no drama. I mean, at the end of the day, realistically, it's probably here. It's, the corona stuff is probably going to be here for a while. Maybe even here to stay. So it's about it, right. just staying healthy and, you know, you know, Doing what you need to do to maintain your health and and and, and your mind and peace of mind. Because right now, I mean, even for me, the only thing that's really different for me, because I don't really hang around a lot of people anyway, is I just can't go to the movies at 10 o'clock in the morning and be dead center in the theater and watch it by myself. Wait, Kyle, I almost forgot. Before we wrap, you got to tell these guys about the Diamond Fader. They got to see it. <laughs> I see it on your neck. Oh, I was going to ask you. I saw that on your Instagram. Where does one get themselves a Diamond Fader? That's amazing. It's um, literally a one of a kind. I, I, it was a it was my gift to myself for my 40th birthday, and I was saying this is like my staple of saying that you know this industry has been good to me, and you know I, I at that point I had never owned diamonds, so I said let me get let me just do something nice for myself. So yeah, I um actually had a fader from SD7. And I took it to a jeweler that I knew, and I said, I want to make this a functioning fader, but I wanted a a white gold with diamonds in it, and I want to get a custom chain. So he created the whole little thing for me. He he drew it up for me in in CAD, and then showed me a rendering of it. I said, that's it. And he made it for me, and it it was a one-off. Literally, after the mold was done, it's not anymore. I mean, can somebody else do it? I'm sure they could, but to date, it's the only one that I know of. That's amazing. You put that on Janet's vocal, just put it right there. Sometimes, I mean, the reason why I made it functioning was so that after I paid for it, I could write it off. So, yeah. because there you <laughs> go. <laughs> you know, like so, so literally Brilliant. it fits on any fader. It doubles, it's double the size of a fader. So I could put it on any SD7 console. And, you know, sometimes for just, you know, whatever, if I feel like doing a photo or whatever, I put on whatever that star vocal is yeah. and take a little shot of it. That's awesome. Incredible. Yeah, that's so awesome. Digico people really love it. Like, yo, that's incredible. Oh, yeah, they go nuts. nuts. All right, we'll throw a picture of it up on our Instagram so people can see it. Yes. There it is. <laughs> 
Well, man, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you, Kyle. I'm glad we got to know you and uh, best of luck during the rest of your coronacation. I, I love that you're calling it that because for a lot of people, they've been calling it Corona-mageddon. And so it's, uh, <laughs> it's just, it's great to hear your attitude about mm-hmm. everything and just to hear about your approach in general. It's been so refreshing and insightful. So thanks so much for being with us today. It's been great. Thanks for having me. I can't wait to do it again. Well, man, that was awesome. I love hearing from Kyle and I love sort of his approach to things from a musical perspective and, you know, trying to unpack what he's doing in the PA relative to what he learned by listening to the artist's music and how his goal is to make it sound just like the record and how he un sort of unravels some of the tracks and peels back the layers on a bunch of parts so that he can make sure he has control of everything that's happening. And Adam, you were telling us earlier about what it's like to stand behind him at front of house. So just talk for a second about what that experience was. Yeah. I mean, even him saying like how much he works with the band during touring tour rehearsals and the preparation he does, it really shows when he's mixing live. The last time I got to stand with him at front of house and watch him mix live, um, he's got a very minimal amount of screens. He doesn't have all, you know, all these plug-in screens open and external, all this crap. The systems engineer is behind him monitoring the PA. Like he is eyes up on the band, enjoying the music, enjoying his mix. And he's, he, like he said, he is one of the band members and, uh, even like some of his plugin screens that he has, like the lid shut on the screen, he's not even looking at it. Sometimes he'll open it up, but all that stuff's automated. He's programmed everything. It's all MIDI together. And he's just really dialed in. Like he does not miss a cue. He does not miss a beat. And uh, you can tell he loves the music. He loves the producing side of the music. So cool. um, so it's pretty inspiring. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm definitely going to turn off all the screens. I, have you guys ever done that? Like turn, turn off all your monitors? Yeah. Have you ever tried that? Turn them all off? No. It's a bit terrifying, but I can't get through the the initial like oh my gosh but i can tell on the other side of that there's some like freedom yeah you know what i mean like to not have to worry about oh did the waves snapshot fire so that auto-tune key changes and did this happen and did that happen okay and then what's the db level and is some you know yeah instead of just thinking about the music and the experience people are having yeah that's a good challenge we should do that just challenge ourselves to mix a song that way and just feel how it is a different experience for you as an engineer not not necessarily how it changes sonically but what does it feel like for you yeah to just not be paying attention to all that stuff i've tried to do that a lot this last year of just like once i've gone through sound check and i've set stuff up like just to trust it and i hit next on my snapshot i know it's going to go and i don't need to be digging around on like the wave screen or looking at smart or checking tracks live like i know that stuff's good i've got someone watching it just really focus on the band focus on the music and uh, be present what I'm doing rather than just so much, you know, multitasking that you're not, you're not really nailing anything. And then really the only way to do that is to spend more time prepping. Yeah. More time listening to the music first, knowing that your microphones are in the right spot, knowing that your snapshots and scenes are dialed. If, if MIDI's involved, knowing that all that stuff is there, Mm -hmm. that you have redundant plans for when something breaks. Right. Like, once all that's done, I feel like then you're setting yourself up to have a bit more peace of mind. Sure. And be able to maybe turn turn those screens off. So that's cool. Yeah. All right, Adam, you made it through your first podcast. 
Yes. Congratulations. It's Thank been great to have you guys. It was awesome. You should come on here more often. Let's do it. Tell me when. Right Tell now. Well, when. we need to figure out when to get together in person again. Because that we always do. needs to happen more often. If you guys want to come out to Vegas, flights and hotels are very cheap right now. That's because it's hotter than Six Hills. But there's <laughs> air conditioning. <laughs> it doesn't even get cool at night there right now. Uh, I mean, it cools off. It gets like, I was sitting in my backyard last night around 11, midnight, and it was... Um, like 85 out. But so you have to I've wait till midnight fan, for it to get down well, to 85. But like when I've got my fan and my misters going out there, I'm set, baby. I'm set. So you got to 60 last night here, and it was 100. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, no, it's, it is it is hot here right now, but there's lots of air conditioning. That's true. So That's we'll survive. Let's, let's do it. Let's make a plan. All right, everyone. Go check our website out, mxu.rocks. Subscribe to MXU now. Lots of cool stuff happening there. And go rate the podcast. Share it with your friends. That's a good idea. Let's get some more people engaged in this podcast. I like that. Yeah. Have you noticed that we've been doing one a week? Yeah. Trying to. It's not an accident. It's not an accident, people. All right. Till next time. See you guys. Thank you guys for having me. That was fun.